I think when, when everyone's just waiting for government to tell me, or it's like, what do you mean government? You mean some man or woman that spent the last five years campaigning on abortion rights or about at the end of the day, who is this man behind the curtain or woman behind the curtain that all of a sudden understands this new technology so well that they know exactly the way in which people should use it. I mean, that's, you can't even look, let's look at your track record with the money that you created, which is legal tender. Let's look at the track record with the money that you created working for government and how well were you at preventing the counterfeiting of your own, you having to constantly change new money because they keep getting better at counterfeiting. So, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Welcome to Specific Knowledge. I'm your host, Devin Marty. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring how people coordinate and build in a dynamic world where knowledge is distributed and ephemeral. With a focus on creative destruction and the role of blockchain as a decentralizing technology, we discuss new ways to reimagine and reshape the current social order. I'm joined by my friends Lucas and Ryan, who are experts in their field. Today's topic will be on regulations and scalable solutions. Without further ado, Episode 5 of Specific Knowledge. All right, guys, welcome back. Episode 5, we're talking about regulations and scalable solutions. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing good. How about yourself? (laughs) Doing really well. And Lucas? It's good to see you. It's always good to be with you guys and talk some crypto. Yeah, sweet. Um, And at first here, we're actually going to continue with what we talked about last week uh, towards the end of uh, our podcast last week. So if you missed that episode uh, and want a scope of what we're about to talk about when it comes to regulations, you know, hit up episode four. But I think, Ryan, you brought uh, a interesting bill to to our attention, and I'd love for you to describe it uh, before we get into our main topic, which is scalable solutions. Okay, yeah, there's so there's a bill. so, uh, I believe it's Congressman Beyer is uh, the one who's the author of it. And it essentially uh, clarifies the regulations and the definitions and everything surrounding crypto and DeFi and stable coins and, and digital asset securities and all the above. And um, it's, it's, real, it's worth reading. It's very well written. That's one of the things that, you, that jumps out is that whoever wrote this and, or whatever team of people wrote this, they definitely did research and they didn't just approach this uh, without a careful understanding of, of the space. So that's, that's, a, that's something that's noteworthy. You don't always get that with, uh, with congressmen dealing with financial issues. So uh, one of the big things that, that it does is it, regu- it changes the, well, it proposes to make a big change with how stable coins are, are handled. And it gives the treasury secretary a veto power over the issuance and ba- the, the existence uh, inside the U.S., of a, of a stable coin and market for them or real quick, Ryan, Ryan, yes. what's a stable coin for stable if- coins are digital assets that are either collateral. They're usually collateralized and also pegged by fiat currencies, whether the U S dollar or others. And there's other, um, other backings, but that's the, that's the main, the main one. And it's they're they're stable because they're pegged to a dollar. So an example would be tether or USDC, they're, they always equal a dollar or a, f- a few fractions of a, of a cent either way, but they tend to be really close to a dollar. So you can, you can use stable coins as a digital proxy for a dollar. And, and for that reason, they've been, uh, they've had, they've had the target, you know, they've had the target on their back in term more than other crypto 
um, categories. And so the, the so the Treasury Secretary is going to have control over this you know over this market and be able to say yes or no to whether the, whether or not these projects can even exist. So that's one element of the bill. Another bill element is that it clarifies the difference between a digital asset security, which would apply to tokens that are that are um, that are sold as a form of a either be whether that gives the the holder a share of the company's profits or it, whether it's a uh, like a funding mechanism to, to for them to use this at these assets to in order to expand their and work on their roadmap and develop so this was the like kind of like the ICO the initial coin offering craze a few years ago uh, they're they're looking at those sorts of transactions and um, separating secu- digital asset securities from typical cryptocurrencies everything so that's and everything else would be considered a commodity and so how you how you tax these things, how you report them, which even which regulatory bodies are involved are different, depending on how how these assets are clar- are uh, classified. So, and this is one of the things that this bill is seeking to do is to define different categories of, of digital assets, so that the bigger uh, investment banks and and uh, institutions that are that are trying to look to do ETFs and futures con- uh, exchanges and all these sorts of things, they're able to now have regulatory certainty regarding the uh, the regulations that are that apply to them right because it's an open question is it a commodity is it a security and and how what what that means right that's important so this bill is is sort of uh, aiming to add certainty to those issues to and that will and that will definitely facilitate uh, institutional investment because you know big money uh, on, on the sidelines is often waiting for for the legal, uh, regime to kind of be clear. So before they commit large amounts of money in a way that, you know, it could be, it could be very important depending on how these definitions are handled. So this definitely will be good in that sense. And the other element that it takes, it takes aim at is DeFi and, and really just the, the use and, and, and exchange of all of crypto assets in general, whether on the DeFi, uh, in the DeFi world or not, uh, the change is going to be to have a systematic market-wide insistence on KYC and AML and, and having a certain regime compliance. Every, every uh, exchange and, and every DeFi swap, whatever it is, there's going to have to be compliance officer who, whose job it is is to know the, the regulation that applies to them and to make sure that they're in compliance and publish you know, uh, quarterly or, or, or yearly reports and so this is essentially bringing bringing the crypto space into the mainstream financial regulatory system. Okay, before I have either you or Lucas um, talk about why this poses a threat or or is an issue, um, I really quick for those um, who might not know what a security means, um, what a security is. In 1933, there is the Securities Act of 1933. What it did is it's following the Great Depression and and the collapse of the market. What it's saying is essentially you cannot promise or offer a financial service without significant information concerning that financial service or product. And it's very frowned upon to say, hey, this will make you money. Um, That right there, if, if you... I've talked to a few lawyers recently about this, actually. If you call it a cat, the SEC is going to say that's Securities and Exchange Commission. 
the SEC is going to say, well, that's a cat. So, you know, don't call it a bond. Don't call it a, a ROI. Like any of those things imply that you're saying you're going to make money as an investor. You, there are a lot of rules you have to follow uh, in the eyes of the government to legally sell or, or offer a security where it's much easier to offer, say, in crypto, the other term is a utility token, which means that the token doesn't necessarily, sure, it might make you money. We're not saying that, though. It is used for something. Uh, it's used for minting NFTs or transacting with friends like Venmo. Like There is no um, upward financial component to it, even though there might be. So this is, um, this is a bit dicey because in, in the opinion of many, all cryptocurrencies are inherently securities. That's that's a very interesting argument that I don't think any of us are qualified to have. But I do want to ask both of you, uh, maybe starting with Lucas, because um, we've talked about this for a long, long time. Why is this type of regulation uh, concerning to you? Well, I, for me, the, the concerning part is when we look at the the one of the greatest values of bitcoin blockchain technology it was to allow access to to banking the unbanked allowing access for people who typically don't have access uh, to financial institutions to 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 money to credit to be able to take part with just a computer or a cell phone and and their time to to take part directly in an ecosystem um, that is more secure than all of these financial systems that we've uh, used in the past that require heavy regulation and make sure uh, we don't have counterfeiting and um, you know and and double spending uh, other other issues so this for me it's, it's it's moving there's a whole sector of the economy there's a huge sector of uh, in the world who are now um, being pushed away and ostracized and ignored when this technology the very uh, benefit of technology was to equalize and allow those people access now if you're saying you need to have all these documents in order to play in, in any reindeer games then, then those very people who weren't able to participate before are, are back out again and not able to participate in, until they could meet those qualifications. So for, so for that reason, and also we talked we were talking earlier before we started, but you go back into the, the idea of taxation without representation and men and women working in positions of, of relative governments to, for overseeing um, different markets. Those are pre-existing markets. Um, they're, they're, there's a service they're providing. There's an FDIC to ensure um, your, your account, if something were to go wrong with, with the financial system that they are running and, and printing the money and the interest rates. So if you have a technology and uh, a market that has uh, been built um, brick by brick, you know, computer processing power by computer processing power, people who did not have uh, represent did not have an FDIC uh, when they lost their private keys or something happened to their computer. Um, you know, this is uh, a lot of people have taken a lot of risk for years 
when when even now it's still little known and although it's getting we could see with the government's passing regulations it's definitely getting more traditional and institutional recognition but you all know that just two years ago three years ago it was still being sloughed off in mainstream media as being a underground black market thing even jp morgan said i'd fire someone uh, now they're of course um, offering it um, to their to their clients so uh, for those two main reasons, um, it, I think that there should be a sector of people who should be allowed to partake uh, um, just because they are not part of um, you know, highly developed uh, national populations. There should still be a, an, a, an ability for people all over to partake in, in this new um, system being built. And also, it, it it's not developed it's not mature enough yet when you you know the these quote regulators and, and people working in these positions of power they're not yet providing a service to to protect others i would say right now if you're in the business of oversight and regulation to protect people from bernie madoffs and enrons or bitconnects then you should have like this bank is fdic insured you should have this crypto is has been vetted and audited by the sec and and people should pay for that like i feel right now instead of it being this war or battle over who should win it should be more there's room for both and if you think that you can protect people and provide a service then then have that ecosystem and stand on that um but in the meantime I feel that you might find the the decentralized the 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 market version of uh, preventing some kind of bug or inflation hack or or an issue. It might just be it might it might just be better um, or arrive sooner. Um, but yeah, th so those are those are my two. I and looking at this paper, I I just want to mention because anytime you look. And, and bills being passed or regulations, it, it's not just in a vacuum. It's dealing with real, real institutions, real people, and uh, real markets. And of course, here in on page eight, where they talk about what a major di digital asset is defined as, it's defined as uh, by by highest daily trading volume or market capitalization. The top twenty five listed cryptocurrencies. It doesn't say cryptocurrencies. But the, the top 25 listed on um, coin market cap <laughs> on, on a publicly available website, such as coin market cap. And for those who don't know, there has been a lot of uh, and it's declassified, it's transparent. But uh, coin market cap is is a website that's uh, run by CZ and, and the owner of Binance and has been highly um you know, scrutinized for not um, listing properly many uh, tokens that have volume or market caps. And, and so there's an art to these listings. And so now if the regulator picks the, uh, the websites that they're going to choose as listing the top 25 major digital assets, you've got a whole new area for, for moral hazard and corruption. Well, which website are we going to use? And, you know, what's the algorithm for choosing the top 25? We're this and that's just one definition. Of course, with every regulation definition, you're going to create a whole new host of of issues that are completely unforeseen and unplanned at the moment. And I think at uh, where the market's at, it, unnecessary. I'd like to touch on that because it makes me think of the last point you made about how the moment you make a regulation, you're going to kick off a whole new 
uh, round of people reacting to and, and that regulation and how that can be gamified. That, that reminds me of a concept in economics called the Lucas critique. And this is funny because, you know, Lucas is a... <laughs> Lucas is not who this is named after, but uh, but it's I'm critiquing so it directly. I'm relevant. It. Yeah. But the Lucas critique <laughs> is a macro. It's a macroeconomic theory that was uh, that basically explains that just the idea that you can envision a policy and and put it into play isn't is is just the beginning. That it's that's not a sure a surefire method to to getting the economy to equilibrium. This is, so this is a, basically about money and monetary policy. And the idea is the Fed or any central bank has certain targets and they think, okay, well, we're gonna pull some levers, inject or, or pull out money, um, put it here, put it there to, to try to get a certain effect. And the, uh, and, the, and the outcome of that effect is always contingent on how people react to it, right? And that, so that brings up issues like expectations and ration, rationality, how people make decisions and all of these things. Well, the Lucas critique says that the planner envisions a, a, a basically a one-to-one -one effect from from whatever their change is. So if they if they inject money or if they change some prices, they they envision people to react given that change, right? But what they don't factor in is that the is that people's expectations and their and their uh, the framework with which they make their decisions is is not a, a static thing. They update their expectations. And one of the things they use to update their expectations is the policy of the planners, the monetary policy itself. So when the planners are making up their plan, they have to, they can't just use the, the, the status quo as it is today as their starting point. They actually have to use the starting point as the environment that's going to exist after the plan is announced. And how, because people are going to inc incorporate all that new information into their, into their planning and their decision making. So it's not a simple thing of drawing a line from where you are today to where you want to be in the future and having a policy get you there because you actually have to consider how the policy itself changes the, the, the environment and how people are going to react to that. And, and so you can get, uh, you can have an, a certain goal and people don't react the way you want because they see where you're going and they go somewhere else instead. Right. And that's, so that's very relevant to what we're talking about here with these definitions and how, and the rankings that we use with crypto and, and how we, we, how we pick which websites we choose as the, and what algorithms they use to determine volume market cap and these other questions. And then the question is, is, well, once you decide as a regulator, which one you're going to settle on, what incentives then arise on the part of those websites to then maybe change the algorithm, right? And so, yeah, all these cat and mouse kind of questions immediately arise with, with these issues. And they weren't as big of a, I mean, these were minor problems before, but when you start throwing in the, the, you know, these massive regulations, now the, the, now the, uh, the prize or the, or the carrot for, 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 for create changing the algorithm is much greater, right? We're creating a whole, there's an incentive system now that gets slapped on top of it that didn't exist before. I, I think we have a good, we, we've cemented a good foundation of what this bill means. Uh, uh, it was a good add-on to, I believe, our discussion last week where we covered the Financial Action Task Force, the money laundering laws, and uh, KYC, Know Your Customer, all, all that stuff. And I think this was a, a good addition to that for sure. Now, Ryan, you also sent over a quote by uh, Friedrich Hayek. And if you do listen to that episode, we also talk a lot about Friedrich Hayek. 
the namesake of this uh, podcast, uh, Specific Knowledge. And the quote you sent over, uh, I'm going to read it now because I think it's the perfect segue into our next topic, which is blockchains uh, and, and scalable solutions that these newer blockchains are offering. So the quote goes, quote, I don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government. That is, we can't take them violently out of the hands of government. All we can do is by some sly roundabout way introduce something they can't stop, end quote. Before we move on, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Well, I'll go, I'll go first since I sent the... <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think it's... I mean, he had that... That quote was from 84, 1984, and it was kind of towards the end of his life, and he had spent a good amount of time thinking about alternative uh, monetary systems. He wrote a book called The Denationalization of Money in, I think, 74, and it discusses a kind of a similar environment to what we had in, in the 18, early 1800s, the, the free banking era. <clears throat> and it's a situation where it's an environment where there's competing currencies. There's no national currency unit. There's, um, there's just various um, currency units that are created by banks or individuals or corporations or whoever. And then there's a market test, you know, for them. And if they pass, they, then they would circulate. And, and if they didn't, then they would go away. And so this was always sort of the dream that, that these free market economists like Hayek uh, had in their minds. Milton Friedman, I believe, discussed some of this. Definitely Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard. Uh, this was a big theme that they talked about. And, and it was really uh, prescient of him in 84 to see how, how, how that would be. That's the solution. It's not going to be a matter of voting in the right person or, or creating uh, or having a political movement that uh, has sound money or monetary reform at, at its core that that seemed that had been tried and it had failed over and over again. The, so he saw that the solution was going to be some kind of sly roundabout way that they, that, that introduces as something they can't stop. So instead of asking for, for permission, it's, it's going the other route and just having a, a, an immutable permissionless alternative. And I think so. I think it was great that he saw that. Whether or not it, whether or not crypto and blockchain delivers on that promise, you know, I think that I think that it has so far. But you know, we're we're seeing the beginnings of of the of the empire striking back, right? And how this how this plays out going forward, and if it remains to be an open an open space, I think that remains to be seen. But um. But it's definitely if there I will say that if there is a path to sound money in our future, it's going to come through the sort of mechanisms that Hayek pointed to. That quote, it also reminds me um, of another one of uh, our favorite thinkers and uh, a quote that we've talked about in the past, which goes beyond money, but also applies to blockchain. Absolutely. Uh, you can never you, you never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that's Buckminster Fuller. Right. And that's pretty much saying the same thing, not to fight it, not to fight the money and violently take it away, but to, in a sly roundabout way, create something that displaces it. Yeah. But, and I, I know this is a bit of a tangent. Um, I do want to mention that though, cause it, it's been on my mind recently. Uh, well, for the past 24 hours, um, but we'll get back. We'll get back to the crypto point in a second. I think this is a very interesting point to bring up. Um, I last night went to uh, a speaking event um, uh, of an astronaut 
named Ron Guerin. And he's written two books. I had to buy them both. I was very impressed. Uh, his first book is called The Orbital Perspective. And the second one is called Floating in Darkness. Um, I think The Orbital Perspective is the one I would prefer to talk about here. Um, so there's a previous astronaut, uh, Frank White, um, who talks about astronauts who look down on Earth when they go to space and, and get this greater sense of I am not of a country, I'm not of a government, I'm not of a community, I'm of a planet. And in coming back and realizing this and something he said last night, there's, there's much more nuance uh, to it and uh, much more, you, you can get the same effect or impression um, or life-changing humility by standing on top of a mountain or, or the, it doesn't have to be space. But the idea is you realize that you're part of a globe. And the thing that he brought up that I was like, whoa, nice relief. I, I love blockchain. He goes, I think blockchain is the thing that uh, allows us to all communicate, allows us to all become not governments, but one nationality, one planetary uh, nation uh, that works together. And I think that relates to, to this quote a bit, um, certainly in, in the way that we are taking it out of the hands of government, maybe because we don't necessarily need, I don't know, uh, just interesting thought. Uh, if you guys do want to check them out, I, I really think you should. Um, I'd love to have them on this show sometime to talk about the connections between the two, this, this perspective, this uh, global perspective and how blockchain relates to that. And if you guys have any thoughts on that real quick, chime in. But if, if not, let's, let's move on to... I have a quick thought. Yeah, go ahead. Um, this goes back to the gold standard and the, not the gold standard of, of the 1913 era, but the classical gold standard that would have been prior to. And this was uh, considered to be by the monetary economists that we've talked about so far as being like the most integrated global currency system ever, right? There was, this was a time when gold, the physical coins themselves were money, not, not uh, they were traded and owned and, and they were, I and mean, there were still paper, paper equivalents, but, but people largely the possession, the possession of these gold coins was universal. It wasn't like they were in the bank and people just traded money and they never touched the coins. Like they circulated. And at this time, it wasn't just the, the, the stamped coins of one, of one country. It was, there was an international, essentially monetary agreement where, where all, where all these coins circulated, you'd see coins from all over the world circulating, you know, back and forth. And, and there was then when the wars happened, when the Great War period occurred, World War One and World War Two, they considered this to be like a, a time of monetary destruction, where 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 these where this great universal uh, order, this worldwide order, started to get segmented, and and you know people went off of gold and and various countries, and and then you started having currency blocks and and currency wars, and basically they talk about the the disunion of the global economy in this period. And, and so my thinking is, is that this is sort of a, this, this blockchain global monetary system is like a return of, of a borderless global monetary order that we haven't had since prior to the great wars. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is, this is an epoch in, in human evolution, in human sociogenesis, whatever you want to call it. This is definitely something that is going to have drastic, um, uh, hopefully for the good uh, changes and that 
yeah, maybe it restructures our entire way of thinking about societies um, and, and how people migrate, immigrate. Do, do people even have to if they're all part of this internet nation or, or digital nation? Or, you know, and I know, Lucas, you have thoughts on this with, uh, you know, in more spiritual and religious uh, sense, but it's the same idea. It's, it's all coming together in, in one way to realize that, hey, we're, we are not... Yeah, we're not sure it's tribalism. There's bad things of tribalism, but you know, if everyone was who was willing to fight and die for their country was willing to fight and die for the globe, things would be a lot different for sure. It's a perspective switch. Yeah, I definitely uh, see this technology as 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 building bridges around the world. You know, it's it's bringing people together. It's uh, helping them see outside of uh, nationalistic. Uh, more localized, you know, cultural boundaries and, and, and thinking. I mean, for, think about the fact that money uh, for, until now, money has been something that's been a legal tender that's been determined and dictated by your local government and what you're allowed to use to settle payments. And so this technology is, is giving an opportunity uh, as a tool, um, as, as a new tool for money that people haven't had in I mean, I've written history, generations and generations upon generations. I don't, re, I don't recall um, the best. Uh, I mean, you could maybe say gold, but at the same time, there's an aspect to blockchain technology that, as a medium of exchange and unit of account, and its uh, ability, uh, its security features that make it superior. You know, even if you're an old monetary history, uh, you know, looking at the development, you wouldn't say, well, let's go return back to uh, banks having to hold gold and everyone have to have a certificate that, you know, that it's going to have a whole host of issues and problems that we've lived through before. So what I, what I'm curious is, is, you know, we talk about government, but government is just a lazy word. It's just such a lazy word, government. It's like, you mean the mailman, the guy uh, in the military? Do you mean um, the, the person, the senator? Do you mean there's so many levels of men and women in an economy that put their pants on one leg at a time? And instead of going to work at the farmer's market where they have to slave away and hope that people like their product, they sign out some paperwork and, and they work at this building instead. But it's just we're just men and women that go to do a job with our limited specific knowledge and limited information, trying to do the best we can. Knowing that, having an expectation on people in government to regulate or to do something with blockchain is, is, is insane. It is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's, it's, it's absurd. Uh, it's, a, it's this, first of all, counterfeiting banks holding money there are vast uh, uh markets that we don't even need anymore so if if anything you should at least be having massive layoffs if you're going to start adopting this new technology you surely don't need the infrastructure that you needed to before to protect people from the unscrupulous money lenders and the unscrupulous counterfeiters and the, the, i mean one of the huge value gains of this technology is the fact that it's tr trustless doesn't mean you can't trust it trustless means we've removed the, the, the ability for someone to lie or deceive you on their bank statement. You don't have to wait two or three days for your SWIFT payment to clear. You know, I mean, so I think when, when everyone's just waiting for government to tell me, or it's like, what do you mean government? You mean some man or woman that spent the last five years campaigning on abortion rights or about at the end of the day, who is this 
man behind the curtain or woman behind the curtain that all of a sudden understands this new technology so well that they know exactly the way in which people should use it. I mean, that's, you can't even look, let's look at your track record with the money that you created, which is legal tender. Let's look at the track record with the money that you created working for government and how well were you at preventing the counterfeiting of your own, you having to constantly change new money because they keep getting better at counterfeiting. So, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, I, to your point, uh, look at the value of Bitcoin or ETH or, or any of the top 20 or 25. They're many, many, many times uh, more valuable than the, than the currency unit that the, that the Fed is in charge of, right? Uh, Bitcoin is at one time has been 60 something thousand times more valuable, right? So we're seeing, we're seeing a bit of, uh, of a race that they're losing in a sense for, for our attention and for the mark, for the, for the capital that's in the economy. And I, and I think when it was not so clear that this was going to have legs, there was more of a hands-off approach. Oh, let them do what they want. You know, it's only a small market cap, but now that this has grown and become a serious, uh, financial sector with, with a serious market cap, then they're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I, I want to get my hands on this. They're, they're having studies now where they're calculating the, they're est- trying to estimate how much money in taxes should have been paid over the last few years. And they're, I mean, they're trying to quantify like what that number looks like and versus what the tax, uh, tax, uh, un- unpaid taxes are for securities and bonds and stocks. And they're trying to get the crypto, uh, percentage of untaxed gains to equal the, the same percentage or close, you know, with the financial, normal financial markets, the traditional financial markets. And so this is really, I don't know, I don't read this as a, like an, an, an aim for meeting consumer needs or, or like a watchdog thing or a, a consumer welfare organization. This is not about, or they're not even coming out and saying, we're going to give you FDIC uh, insurance. For, for all the taxing we're trying to do now. They're actually up front. They're not gonna, there's nothing in this for the crypto community. This is all about the government or the treasury achieving, uh, acquiring more resources. This is about taxing people. And now, and when it was a small market share and there wasn't a lot of tax dollars up for grabs, it wasn't a big deal. But now that it's some, grown into something valuable, they're like, well, it's, they got their eyes on it. You know, it's, they, there's an infrastructure bill. Can I just say, I think it's funny, The if I'm not mistaken, the U.S. bond market alone is like $46 trillion worth of value. And the crypto market cap is $1.6 trillion. And it's like, I, I think I saw these, these studies as well. It's like, there have been like a trillion dollars in unpaid taxes. It's like, okay, hey, make those claims when we're around $30 trillion market cap. Like, what yes. are you kidding? You want it all. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. Here. Okay. Speaking of competitions and and races, let's move this, I think, a little more internal, uh, a little more internal competition. And um, I think the biggest internal competition when it comes to crypto, you could argue there's a few others, but a big one is uh, who's the most scalable. Um, So I believe it was Vitalik Buterin who talked about this thing called the trilemma. It might be be specific to Ethereum, but Ethereum was pretty much the first one. So it might just be the a general trilemma where you're either decentralized and fast, fast and scalable, or scalable and decentralized. You can't be all three. You know, there's arguments there, but but okay. So 
we're stuck here with Ethereum, which is extremely decentralized. I think most of us would agree compared to any alternative. Uh, and it's pretty fast. It does run into some issues, but compared to, I don't know, Swift, yes, it's very fast. Uh, you know, I can make an Ethereum transaction in a minute compared, or maybe a few seconds compared to you know, three to five business days. But it's not super scalable. And this is the issue with a lot of proof of work. Um, so like Bitcoin or Ethereum right now. But what's changing is that things are moving to proof of stake, which allow for more scalability, allow for more speed, uh, sometimes give up on decentralization, but have found ways to maybe also do it. So there's a lot of competition when it comes to Ethereum, which is moving to Ethereum 2.0. Actually, in a few hours, um, or maybe about 14 hours from now, EIP, which is Ethereum Improvement Protocol 1559, is going to come out. And this is highly anticipated. Um, it's like a start of moving to proof of stake. It starts to make Ethereum deflationary. There's a lot of things it does. So as this is happening, let's talk about the competition to Ethereum in terms of scalability and scalable solutions. Uh, I'll jump in. So um, from what I understand it, of course, I don't, uh, technical background in computers is, is not my forte. So I, I, I'll, I'll keep it light. Um, but the Ethereum virtual machine being the, the obviously the largest, most secure smart contract platform that there is. And like you said, Devin, it's extremely efficient. It's, it's extremely fast. It's paved the way for other smart contract platforms to, to hop on board. It's, it's not the sending of Ethereum often that becomes expensive. It's actually the operating smart contracts that becomes tedious and expensive um, as, as more people build on it. And because of that, you, you we've had forks of Ethereum, much like Bitcoin has had forks, Bitcoin Cash, uh, Bitcoin SV. So these forks that are, are made are able to, to inter, be interoperable. They can be bridged to the original Ethereum network. And that's why we have something called Matic or Polygon, which is real popular. It's uh, It was a fork from the Ethereum code, but it was tweaked and made so that although a bit more centralized, like you were mentioning the trilemma, they said, you know what? Why don't we centralize this a bit more so that we can speed transactions up and allow people to, to do a lot of complex code very fast and very cheap and successfully, which is why Matic is, is blown up in value uh, and very well this last year. Um, it, it's uh, many people have, have chosen to go off of Ethereum and onto the to the Matic uh, chain and, and operate there. Binance Smart Chain as well. I, I mentioned these because because having a smart contract competition doesn't have to be a completely new chain. You can have Ethereum and more improved versions or uh, forks of Ethereum uh, that are working together. And then we can also talk about Harmony One, which is a completely uh, brand new, uh, highly scalable blockchain that uh, successfully introduced sharding and you know is operating right now. Um, people working, building smart contracts, NFTs, the whole nine yards. So... Um, we get into, um, are we talking about Ethereum and, and Ethereum, um, you know, forks and layers, or are we looking at different chains? And, you know, I, I definitely feel that there's room for both 
in this ecosystem. I'm not a maximalist of, of, of anything. I, I think that it's like HOV lane, the high occupancy vehicle lane on the highway or the slow lane or the fast lane or the, you know, the three lanes in the middle there. I, I feel that there's room as more people try to onboard and, uh, and operate on these ecosystems. It's going to apps demand and require more chains, more channels because crypto kitties, crypto punks. If, if any of these incidents in the past have shown us is that when demand hits and it gets very popular, even on the polygon Matic chain, when people have tried um, to a lot of people, a glut have tried to get off there, there, it can take some time of waiting before you get your assets back. Um, so there's definitely um, room for, for, for multiple um, in, in this ecosystem. I'm going to end that rant there. Yeah. I just, I just want to add to a few things you said. Um, so on the, on a fundamental level, Ethereum is not scalable because there is a bottleneck in how transactions are processed. Um, every node needs to process the transaction and nodes are also verifying the work of miners. So it has to do a lot with proof of work as well. So as Ethereum moves away from that, there might be less of an issue there. When you move to, when you move, I think it's pretty much referred to as on-chain as the core uh, Ethereum and off-chain would be like a second layer solution like, Poly like Polygon, which you just mentioned. Polygon introduced something, uh, the ability to shard in a transaction. So that means that the, there's a partitioning of the transactions. And so mul multiple can happen per second. Um, it doesn't rely on miners. I, I believe you can mine Polygon or Matic, but it's, it's a lot different. So it reduces latency, just more can go through. You've essentially opened the bottleneck because you don't have this other structure that relies on something that's kind of older tech. I think that's hopefully a good example or a good explanation of, of what the difference is on a fundamental basis. But Ryan, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Polygon and, and Harmony One to start. And if you have any others you'd like to bring up. Well, I've I've had limited use of Harmony One, but I have experience on Polygon and I enjoyed it greatly. I think it was less than a cent for a transaction. And I, this was when I was interacting with the Iron Finance uh, contract, which I think we talked about earlier on our product, on our uh, live stream. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think, I, and I agree with Lucas that, that it's going to require, we're going to need all of these uh, layers, all these second layer solutions and it's because we haven't even begun to start really onboarding the, the entire economy. I mean, it's just it's just starting this last year for for it to really start to grow in markets and in, in usage and market cap and and integrating with the mainstream financial world. And as that continues, we're we're definitely going to need the polygons of the world and and everything uh, everything else things we haven't even imagined yet. So I I am definitely not a maximalist. Um, is I think you guys covered the scaling and the tech side of it as good as, as I can. I can't really add too much more to that. But what I would say is that there's been a, there's a lot, there's a new chain launching because we're talking about competition and I think uh, we should bring it up. Uh, it's called pulse chain and it's, it's designed to, to be a solution to the, it's essentially trying to get to ETH 2.0 prior to ETH. So they're, they've already, uh, really low transaction costs. Uh, gas fees are already super low. There's um, there's going to be a 25% burn of the gas fees. There's uh, 33 validators 
Uh, so it's the top, the top 30, 33 addresses are going to be the validators. And that changes as, as the, um, as the value of, as those addresses as the top 33 number changes, then so does the validators. So there's nothing static there. It's, it's dynamic. And, but the real, the real interesting thing about pulse chain is that you're going to be getting an airdrop, uh, for your ETH and various other ERC twenties. You'll just, you'll have an airdrop and there'll be a, a copy a pulse version on their chain, which then, uh, which then will be used, used and be like a, like a secondary, it basically, it's going to be establishing a whole alternative ecosystem. That's like a one-to-one -one copy of the ERC 20 world. And, and, and this is going to be very cool. There'd be debt. The, there's an opportunity for a DEX to be on top of this. It's, it's, it's exciting <laughs> is the word. And I think Lucas is the one who brought this to my attention. So he might be able to go into deeper detail. Uh, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I I found out about this recently. I mean, we all know that a, a month or three months from now we're going to be talking about something else. Uh, that's how quickly things develop. But it's it is exciting as something happening right now in crypto. If you were around for Uniswap. Uh, and we're able to partake in the Uniswap airdrop. Anyone with a MetaMask wallet who ever used Uniswap and, and made an exchange within a certain time period was given free tokens. And uh, I forgot how many tokens it was at the time, but it's it's worth a few thousand dollars. If you would have held on to those tokens, definitely a great stimulus shot, right? Um, <laughs> but the the idea of of airdrops uh, cryptocurrency this is such a fast growing emerging market you don't see things like this in in traditional finance anymore it'd be like if someone's saying come and put open up a bank account with me and i'll give you free ice cream and free lollipops and a hundred bucks thousand bucks cash back and that's basically what's going on in this ecosystem if you can learn how to get involved in cryptocurrency and do some research you will find different projects offering gifts offering cash back offering crypto back for for being a part of their community for actually helping build value by providing liquidity on a dex or or something else so um going back to the pulse chain airdrop i think that uh the game theory just seems very solid as a way of attracting people from all all various uh defi and crypto communities built already on ethereum it gives different um, it gives different crypto communities the opportunity to choose what they want to do with it. You'll have a comp, you'll have a, a copy batch of tokens on this other network that has cheap exchanges. Do you want to turn it into something that your community can, you know, exchange at some ratio or can get a gift bonus for providing liquidity on that network? It, it allows different platforms to choose what they want to do with those P tokens. They're, they're there. And people can play around with them and, and what Aave wants to do with Pulse Aave or what engine, I don't know if engine's on there, Wise Token, the others will be on there. Whatever somebody wants to do with that copy is, is up to that, to that community, but it's there. And what's cool about it is it's not a peg. And you talk about securities earlier. There's been no promise of value for anything. So it's in that sense, it's a, it's a gift and whatever value comes up um, around this ecosystem will, will be uh, emerging on its own and finding it's, it's, it's a, there's no price history. So it'll be exciting. I, I looking at Binance smart chain and polygon, I just say, this 
I feel that this has to serve some purpose because anything that can move Ethereum along in DeFi and smart contracts on that network, they've been so successful. If, if something else can do that as well, then I can see in the short run, there, there's uh, at least in the short run, there's, there's reason to assume that that will do well. Yeah, I, I would say, um, and again, we, this is a very new chain. Uh, Polygon is, is relatively new, actually. It used to be called Matic. Um, but with any of these, I think you are trading off um, something. Um, it might be decentralization. I think that's usually the biggest trade-off. With the Binance Smart Chain and, and Polygon, that's absolutely the case. I don't know if that's the case for Pulse Chain. I don't know really anything about it other than what you guys have, have said here. But do know that usually what you're doing uh, in the case of Polygon, which is technically not another blockchain, it is, it is a layer two solution, it is off chain. What you're doing is sending all of your whatever, whatever token, pick a token, you're sending that to an address, a bridge is, is what they call it. And the bridge is minting a, an appropriate version that's compatible with the other side. So that bridge holds, I mean, hey, one savvy hacker comes along and they could make a whole lot of people real upset by just draining that bridge. So there is some risk and I would always understand that, right? There's there's also not just one bridge, right? There are many different types of bridges. There are more coming along. Um, Binance Smart Chain is is another way you, you put your risk very much in the Binance team's hands. Um, well, I, I don't think that's fair to say. I think Binance Smart Chain is is fully separate from Binance, though there is some, um, it's it's like a very close partnership. So what you're doing there is you're giving with the Binance coin, uh, the BNB coin, you owning that, that is a centralized alternative that allows you to do very speedy transactions for very low costs. So again, I think, I don't know if anyone has l- solved that trilemma yet. I don't know if Pulse Chain does. I I don't think Harmony does, um, though I don't know. Um, and is there a token or coin out there or a chain out there that soon will? Probably. Um, I think you could argue projects, and again, not here to talk here to talk about my own project, but I think projects similar to mine, and I won't even name it, but um, that build on top of of a protocol like Ethereum or a blockchain like Ethereum but then offer more scalable solutions. You still are, are trapped with the, the speed of the blockchain. You can't enhance that, but you can make Ethereum more scalable if you say back your token with Ethereum or Ether. So the, I think there are ways to, where, where people are starting to figure out, okay, we could, we could probably make this work. We could, we could do something to um, really fix this issue, this trilemma. But there is one more I do want to talk about. I want you guys' opinions on this first. We talked about it before. We've talked about it before on the show. Before we get to the one I'm very excited about, I want you guys to talk about Casper. What is Casper? How is it solving a problem? I, I don't know the details of, of Casper. I do know a little bit about it. And from what I understand, it's it's really exactly what we were just talking about, whether we're talking about Binance Smart Chain or Polygon or Pulse Chain. These are forks of Ethereum that are trying to beat Ethereum to staking or a better version of staking. And actually, Casper is the team. Casper Network is actually one of the original development teams that was charged with creating staking for Ethereum. So the Ethereum 2.0 that everyone's waiting on and doing, in a sense, you could say that 
Casper is a, an earlier version and I don't say better because we, the other one hasn't come out yet, but it's, it's, it's beat it to the punch. Um, <clears throat> so look, I, I, I'm excited for pulse chain to see what it's able to do because every time a new airplane comes out or a new car comes out that says, look, I'm better than the last iteration. It's always nice to see the changes that are made. And from what I understand, there's a lot of changes that are made to make it better than Binance Smart Chain, uh, less centralized, and better than uh, Polygon-Matic in different ways. Uh, however, in which ways, we're all going to find out together if it works at all, as it does. Love to see the game theory on the airdrop and how that plays out. I'm curious to see the game theory on Casper because they have their own plans too. I'm very excited about, uh, and I'll... Uh, actually, let me just finish with Casper. So Casper is a proof of stake smart contract platform that is going to allow for uh, cheap transactions and higher uh, throughput trans transactions per second. So, so that's what it's doing. It's beating Ethereum to the punch. And like, just like everything else, there's a huge demand for people to be able to operate on these uh, networks low cost. If you have a working product, if like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Polygon Matic, they built it, people came. Binance Smart Chain, they built it, people came. So, so here we have Casper, and it's about to be up and running and out there. People are going to use it. It's a functioning, working smart contract platform, uh, and, I, and I believe it's very similar to the Ethereum virtual machine. Um, as it's, I don't know the details. I'm not a computer programmer, but I, I as I am aware, they were the ones designing the, st the staking protocol for Ethereum. And they said, why don't we just do our own? And they just went to do it faster for themselves. So I I'm very bullish on Casper uh, because of that. And, and knowing that certain DeFi projects, like one of my favorite uh, in, the, in that field of a DeFi project on Ethereum, like Wise Token, um, Pulse Chain is founded by um, the Hex founder, uh, Richard Hart, and Wise Token is... Uh, founded by Peter. I like both of these projects and, and because of the way they are uh, flipping the idea of having an asset backed crypto, uh, having something that's redeemable. Like you said, you can't, you can, you can have a token that's backed by an asset and now you can scalable. Now, now you can do all those things with a token that you couldn't do with ether itself, which is why they actually wrap Ethereum and you can have wrapped Ethereum on the network to play around with it in the world of DeFi. Um, Casper, I'm excited about Casper because we know that Wise Token is unique in its locked liquidity, having massive locked liquidity on a decentralized exchange. So when we talk about regulations and securities and people promising a value, there are few true cryptocurrency products out there that I'm just so bullish on um, as they sift through all the muck and the mire as all these things come out. Because you know what? Yeah, regulations, this is security, this is asset, fine. There's a lot of pump and dumps and, and unfinished projects that are promising a lot of stuff out there. But there's also a couple of, there's also projects out there that aren't promising anything. And they're literally just a functioning smart contract. It's, 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 it's working, it's done. And I, I think that um, being able to take a, a project like wise and move it to Casper where people will be able to operate the DeFi ecosystem with lower, with lower gas fees, that's, going to be exciting to me from what i understand just like the massive amount that's locked on uniswap um not only of course is wise casper going to be built in the same fashion but 
they're going to be an integral part of the uh, the main decks on Casper and, and, and liquidity provision there beyond just the raising of that token. They're they're going to be one of like they, there's a Uniswap token. And I want to say that somehow Wise is going to be uh, affiliated or, or um, connected to that exchange token value to, to, to the Casper, to the Casper decks. Just so, um, yeah, no Casper. I'm, I'm very bullish on that. I mean, look at what we're talking about. It'd be like all these cars have been invented. You got all these people bought cars and we're saying, Hey, do you hear someone built a new highway and they're going to allow people to drive? Do you think people are going to use it? Yeah. Everyone's going to get their car and hop on that highway. And, and that's what's going on right now. If a new chain comes out and it's secure and it's functional and it's cheap and you can use it and build and send an NFT or create a, a, a working DeFi project, if you build it, they will come. I could uh, I could tell you a lot more about that uh, Casper Dex if you're interested, actually. <laughs> of course, I am. Um, yeah, actually, it's um, in development, and I know this because uh, I, I do work for the core team for for Wise. Um, that is going to be one of, the, I believe, the first Dex. There is a a competitor out there right now. Uh, I think we'll beat them to it, though. Uh, it's pretty much eighty percent done. Um, I'd say three, four weeks. Um, then there's a front end website that is being concurrently produced. Um, anyways, yeah, it's very exciting uh, to have a, a DEX on, on a blockchain that is essentially Ethereum 2.0, like you said, uh, but finished uh, with a cool governance program with also, they have a developer DAO called the uh, DevX DAO that 16% of all the tokens were allocated to. Um, to create grants for for truly decentralized for anyone to build something that is truly decentralized and there's this voting process and it's you become a voting member if you if your thing gets approved and you're building in the space very cool um love their team a lot of people on their team Uh, i could name drop like timothy lewis that guy's been around forever 2012 he's just developing on ethereum on whatever just solid team uh i mean they've done some cool partnerships with uh dubai uh with some you know other here's and there's uh i know the bigger ones are are yet to come but um yeah it's it's an exciting project for sure uh we're going to be introducing a lot over there uh very soon and i think if you're not financial advice. I think if you're getting into the game, maybe take a look at Casper. Price is uh, down pretty far, and I think it has uh, a lot of a lot of promise for sure. And the last one I did want to get your guys' opinion on is Cardano. I know we've talked about Cardano a lot on this show. How does it compete? I know it's not necessarily a scaling solution, rather another blockchain with better scalability. How do you think it competes with Ethereum? I uh, I'm very bullish on Cardano, and I believe that I mean they've and this remains to be seen, right? Because this is all future looking, but they've they've been very patient and careful, I, from what I can tell, about what about releasing something before it's really ready and trying to innovate uh, new tools instead of just copying ETH and and just you know, doing the copy game and changing a few things around the, around the edges. They're a little bit more like hollow chain in the sense they're looking to create something that's more or less new. And that's, that's goes to explain why it's been so long before they've, you know, rolled out smart contract 
capability <laughs> and other um, other things that they're they have on their roadmap. So long story short, I feel like that that approach will will, will probably be successful long run versus the approach where it's just rush it and make a copy and get it out there, market it right and and try to pump it up. So I, I feel like Cardano is a sleeping giant. The um, it's got a good team. It's got it's got a good vision and and it's trying to recreate a, a, tr a proven ecosystem in the DeFi, the ERC20 DeFi ecosystem and replicating that on a on a better on a better foundation with cheaper fees and and all the above built in staking and all of it. I feel like that's going to be a great a great competitor. And like we always say, it's not it's not which one's going to win. It's more about which which are the projects that are going to be that are that are producing the future that are going to be around in the future. And I feel like Cardano is going to be at the top of that list. Oh, absolutely. The I mean the the amount of academic papers they've they've put out, the amount of time that's been taken to again, like you said, very slowly and methodically put this thing together so that they know it works and and it works well and it's designed to do what it, it not not pushing anything out that's not ready. Uh, you don't want that and. Charles Hoskinson, um, the founder of Cardano, he was also co-founder of Ethereum, some stuff with Ethereum Classic. The guy knows what he's doing. He's had experience, you know, okay, this is all new space. You know, what does that mean really? But like he, he at least has more experience than other people that are building in the space. Um, I think they are going to be very successful. They're not just focusing on what Ethereum focuses on either. They have branch segments that are, are that are far different. Um, decentralized IDs and and voting, like literal, like partnering with countries to establish different voting patterns and medical records. And, and so, yes, this stuff could be built on Ethereum. I think it's cool that it is pretty much from the beginning integrated into Cardano. Um, and I, I'm curious to see how how that just gets the ball rolling on so many more innovative products. Uh, you know, launch some really cool core stuff that, that integrates really well. Uh, you know, yeah, it's much easier for people to develop on top of that, especially the language is also different. It's an easier language from what I understand than Solidity. Solidity was invented in 2014. It's not old. People don't know it. People know Rust. Rust is the language of uh, Casper. That, that's a very well-known coding language. Um, I don't recall off the top of my head um, Cardano's uh, development language, but I know it's not Solidity. And I know there is, I mean, I, I believe you could implement portions or translate it, or, but I know it's, um, it's definitely more user-friendly. Let's just say developer-friendly. Um, so, and to that yeah. point, I remember reading uh, an article a few days ago about a, an a Ethereum developer who moved off of Ethereum to developing on Bitcoin because of issues they had with Solidity. To that very point. There you go. Yep. It, I mean, right now we're trying to hire a Solidity developer. It is impossible. It's literally impossible unless you're going to double someone's salary at a, at a current job. There are just not enough. Uh, there are a lot, I will say. Um, Compared to, I mean, three years ago, four years ago, there are a lot of solidity developers, but they are hard to find, especially good ones. So um, that's the struggle right now with everyone. Everyone's trying to hire a shady super coder, uh, to quote <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. But 
I think uh, one one thing that uh, Cardano Charles uh, has going for him and what they've done very well, you know, people like easy to use, easy user interface, Apple versus Android. You know, there's a lot of people who just want set it and forget it, click a button, don't have to worry about it. Staking your crypto has posed problems in the past, depending upon the design. Often when you stake, uh, if you don't have an amount, a certain amount, you won't get the benefits that other people do. There's a hierarchy, there's barriers to entry. In Ethereum, it takes 32 Ethereum in order to be a validator, which is quite pricey right now and will continue to be pricey as the value of ETH goes up. And, and, and therefore, people have to actually give their Ethereum to another party and risk um, something bad happening because there's something called slashing, where if that other party... Uh, doesn't do their job properly, whatever Ethereum is in, in their account can be uh, depleted some. So people could actually really lose their money. Now we're going back to a problem. Well, it's not decentralized. Now it's I'm having, I'm having to give custodian to somebody else. And one thing that Cardano has done very well is their staking mechanism doesn't require giving up custodian to somebody else. And you can do it right from your wallet. Um, you know, I, I think that... Um, everyone being able to tap into earning that interest on cardano for for staking that ease of use that he's designed is something that is is very attractive and will continue to help grow i think it's definitely gonna be a, a big player in the future they're about smart contracts they are getting more uh, complex on their network as they further develop but like you said devin taking the time to do things right before pulling uh putting things out is uh is, I think is, I'm pretty sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you can end your stake without any penalty through Cardano, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah, and pretty rapidly too. I don't think it takes yeah. much time. Same with Casper. Uh, I believe it takes, it's a bit longer than, it's a few hours. It's it's not a lot of time um, yeah. compared to with Ethereum. Uh, if you staked ETH oh. right now for ETH 3.0, it's stuck for two years maybe, who knows? Oh, well, that's for Ethereum trying to build into a staking uh, platform, yeah, the, but for others that are already staking, I, I should make a point. I've I've played on different networks, Polkadot, Zillica, many of these, if you go to unstake, you have to wait 14 days. You have literally have to wait two weeks. And that's not a bad thing. It's just like, it's like complaining about inter internet on the airplane. Like these are networks that are building a very complex uh, ecosystems and markets. They have to do that in order to prevent fraud, in order to prevent a problem. So you don't complain about what's necessary to keep the network secure, but that's what allows us to appreciate when we say something like, oh, look, Cardano allows you to end stake and you only have to wait a few hours and there's no penalty. Well, for someone that, that doesn't know much about the internet, they're not going to appreciate internet on the airplane, right? And, and I think that it's good, it's important to note that uh, most of the time when you don't have proof of work, um, miners all over the world supporting and securing the network, the, you know, the, the idea of making proof of stake systems sustainable uh, requires a complex game theory. It, it requires making sure that there's an amount being held and locked up to, to keep the network secured and verified. And how do we keep an amount locked up? How do we reward the people that keep it up? And that's where we go down, go down the rabbit hole. So going back to uh, the benefit of Cardano or Casper, these platforms that make staking very easy uh, for people to come in and out of, to be able to support the network without saying, oh, you want to end stake? All right, well, uh, come back to us uh, after graduation, you know, or <laughs> whatever it is. So, so that's another uh, bonus uh, on 
Cardano and for Casper. If we have a, a graph, you know, with columns and rows, and we want to talk about the pros and cons of different chains, ease of stake and, and how long for end stake and staking penalties definitely is going to have to be a huge, a huge column. I, I just realized maybe we should define what staking is if there's a new listener. This would be the equivalent of like a CD contract where you commit to a certain amount of time of tying up your, your asset. And uh, if you're not familiar with the CD, that's a certificate of deposit at a bank. And they, they usually come in six month or year increments or two year increments. And uh, there's, you know, you tie, you, you give, you're basically loaning your money to the bank. And for that time period, you're not able to use it. And if you do want to use it, there's a penalty. And for that, you get a interest rate. And um, in the, in the blockchain world, we call this staking and these contracts have more, there's a bit more flexibility and more vari variability in the blockchain world. So there's, you can do it for certain numbers of days and uh, the, the ways the penalty for ending the con the stake is different depending on the con the contract and the, and the platform. But essentially you can think of it as like a digital uh, certificate of deposit. Yeah. Very good way to put it. Um, I wouldn't even mention there's two kinds of staking. Uh, I'm not, not to make it too confusing, but when you look at a smart contract platform like Cardano or Ethereum or Polkadot or Harmony One, you're, there's staking to support the network. And when we talk about, that's generally what people talk about when they talk about staking. That's 90% that's of the time what people are talking about. And that is staking to secure the network, locking up an amount of that digital asset in order to keep the network safe and secure. It's necessary. If it's not, this, then there is fragility in that chain. That That's completely different than when we look at um, WISE token or other cryptocurrencies that are designed to be locked up and to be staked in which they earn an interest. Th those actually don't suffer the same pitfalls and fragility that the blockchains do. In fact, that's actually, as people learn more about crypto and smart contracts and, and tokens, that's down the road what, what makes it a more viable alternative and a more stable, ethical, equitable choice as, uh, as a digital money or a cryptocurrency is, is that it equalizes the playing field. You don't need anyone to lock up any amount for any period of time. It's secured regardless by code. If you choose to lock up an amount of your wise token or other crypt, then over time you will earn you will earn interest on it by locking it up. That that's time value of money. That's just a basic concept that anyone can understand. If you if you forego having something in the present moment and you and you lock it up, then you will be able to have a return later on with that plus interest. This, of course, is taking advantage of blockchain smart contracts and doing it in a decentralized way, where for the first time in history, you have no intermediaries and you can guarantee an interest return, not what the return will be because it's dependent upon how many people end stake early and there's penalties, but you can guarantee that if you do lock something up for a period of time, then you will get it back plus more. And that is revolutionary. That is in monetary theory and in the history of money to be able to tell someone that you can guarantee and promise that in this ecosystem. That's, that's a pink elephant. That's definitely uh, like a the, sleeping drink. I'd like to add on to that. Um, so in, you're right. It's, it's a monetary 
uh, innovation for the for that time value function to be embedded in the money unit itself, right? So in the past, you yeah, you could always save your your money, your gold, your silver, your dollars, or whatever, and loan them to the bank, and then they would give you an, a return, an interest return. So you could always do that, but this was always uh, a a deal that you made with a third party, right? It was there was some other person on the other end, and there was, there was all these counterparty risks. Are they gonna do, uh, do they have are their investments safe? Are they going to be uh, liquidated and not be able to pay back? You know, my my uh, the agreement they made with me. So all these other issues come into it, right? Whereas whereas with this, you've got a an interest function, a time value function that's embedded in the money itself. So you don't have to engage in a, a in a, in a transaction with some kind of third trusted third party. It's part of the chain. That that's a huge innovation. And I, I think we can even leave it on that, um, that the innovation of staking, moving to proof of stake, there, there's always benefits to proof of work, but I think there is an evolution to proof of stake that provides more network security, more scalable network security, I should say. Uh, and you could talk about the environmental impacts or the whatever. There's quite deep nuances as well when you get into security, but regardless, scalable solutions are, are needed they're they're they are essential they are essential in not just making this a viable solution for uh replacing swift or replacing banks or whatever they are a viable solution for maintaining the decentralized ethos of this space by making sure everyone has an equitable and fair opportunity to transact on these networks and uh i'm glad we have them well guys thank you so much uh I thought this was great. I always love speaking with you guys. It's uh, the highlight of my week. And uh, I'm excited to see what we uh, talk about next time. Thank you, Devin. I had a blast, brother. And these were some great, great topics. There's definitely a lot more to cover in the future. Ditto. I'd always have a good time chatting it up with you and and Lucas. We'll see you uh, next Tuesday. Yeah. See you guys.